What a gift it is to be back with you, to be home here in the parish. In a special way, we welcome our Catholic daughters who are with us this Sunday in full force and array. The readings today give us a serious reflection upon the holy priesthood. I wanted to offer you some reflections upon that theme. I'm at an interesting point in my vocation because as a transitional deacon, I spend more time around more different priests than I probably will at any other point in my life. My seminary professors and the faculty there, the priests under whose supervision I preach and minister, of course, the priests in the diocese, among them Father John Eckert, who provide me example and counsel as I enter these final months of preparation for my own ordination. I could not be any closer to priesthood, and yet I could not be any further away. Our first reading gives us this suffering servant passage. Isaiah describes the suffering one, and in it he prefigures Christ, the suffering priest. That line, through his suffering my servant shall justify many, and their guilt he shall bear. I've been blessed to learn especially about the sacrament of penance, of reconciliation, confession, this past year. So while I can intensely appreciate the perspective of the priest, I myself know the side of the penitent, the sinful one who comes seeking forgiveness. My servant shall justify many, and their guilt he shall bear. It's frequently been my experience, perhaps yours also, that I'll enter the confessional with a significant burden a full load of my sin, as it were. And I walk out with a penance that seems so light, a gentle burden. The receipt is much shorter than all of the items I brought in there with me. This can be the case because the priest, acting as the merciful judge, bears our guilt. He knows the sheep that come before them and he cares for them. He assesses their wounds, applies the solve of forgiveness, binds them up, strengthens them to go out and rejoin the flock. And sometimes the penance that he would wish to give, he knows is too much for that sheep to bear. And it is their guilt he shall bear. And so the priest takes on some penance of his own to contribute. And something given back to Almighty God. It's very humbling for me. Firstly, because of my understanding of my own sinfulness, of how much I have offended against Almighty God, and yet how he extends forgiveness over and over again 
It's also terrifying because in a few months, I will sit as the instrument of merciful judgment. The terrifying reality that in my weakness, I will take on what the sheep cannot bear. And for that reason, we must pray with whole hearts the psalm of today. Lord, let your mercy be on us as we place our trust in you. The fact is, the priest stands alone in time and in eternity. He has no other but the one who is alone, alone with a capital A, the living God. Every priest is a mirror, an image, a living image of Christ himself, the great high priest. In reflecting that love into the world, he is alone. But he is no more alone than each of us will be at the end of our lives on earth when we go before God. And we alone will answer for God how we have lived, how we have loved, how we have served. We will all be alone. So when we gaze upon the priest, let us see some reminder of the judgment we will face before the good Almighty God. The other dimension of being alone, of course, is that the priest sets aside that beautiful richness of a biological family. That he is alone in the world. His family unit is the bride, the church, the faithful. You are his and he is yours. But only because the priest is firstly for him alone. And as Christ is for the church, so the priest. Of course, this doesn't leave much space for negotiation when there's a problem in the relationship. We're not dealing with two broken but redeemed human spouses we're dealing with, well, our fragile humanity and the second person of the Trinity. If someone forgets to take out the garbage, it's not the Lord. And in every area where we fall short, the sacred minister, the priest, feels that. But as we heard from Hebrews, we have this eternal high priest, one who has been similarly tested in every way, yet without sin. So in his human weakness, in his shortcomings, in his failings, in his doubts, the priest turns to Jesus Christ, the great high priest, who is alone the redeemer of the universe. Each priest himself could never be enough. 
He could never measure up. He could never complete the tasks set before him. And it's only by grace and the mercy of God that he has some small share in that work of redemption. That's why seating arrangements are not given out in the gospel today. Left and right has so little to do with it. Can you drink the chalice? Can you be baptized? Because all of the sufferings of the mystical body of the church become those of the priest at the altar. All of your rejoicing, likewise. All of your hopes and struggles, your debts, your profits, they arrive here. When the priest raises his hands, he gathers our prayers and presents them to Almighty God. He comes down from the altar and extends his hand to you as you receive the precious host in the Eucharist. That's the doorway in which the priest lives. Praise God, it's the doorway in which the priest dies. Twenty-four days after I was born, a fellow I'll refer to only as Pope St. John Paul II, wrote an apostolic exhortation. No, it wasn't about me announcing my birth. It was called Pastores Dabo Vobis. The Lord gave them shepherds. He wrote extensively about the priesthood, the joys, the sorrows, the gifts and the fruits, the challenges. And as I read through this document, I came to an arresting paragraph. I had to stop, I had to set it down, I had to pick it back up, I had to read it again, set it down, worry about it, go downstairs, come back up, read it again. The entire people of God in each and every one of its members can and should offer precious assistance to the ongoing formation of its priests. In this sense, the people should see that priests are allowed time for study and prayer. They should ask of them that for which Christ has sent them and not require anything else. They should ask of them that for which Christ has sent them and not require anything else. It's very convicting. I spend a lot of time around priests. What do I require of them? Do I allow them to do that for which Christ has sent them? The priest is at most a sinful man. But at his best, he's that mirror, that image, 
that broken, flawed instrument in the hand of the creator. And the recreation of the sacraments passes through him, through his life and his ministry. If I could be so bold as to ask you to put one limit on the priests in your life, I would ask you to remember this. When you are with your priest, take what you need, not what you want. Take what you need, not what you want. I say that not to discourage you from approaching him, but because every priest in his heart desires to give all that he has. That complete self-offering of Christ is what draws us to such a sublime vocation. We can be holy for the bride. But in that, the priest is so small, so weak, so limited. He could never accomplish what God wants to bring about in the world. So when you realize your needs and bring them to the priest, do not discourage. Take your wants to your prayer. The Lord will purify and show you what your needs still are. And you will return to that priest and seek him out again. And he'll be glad to receive you because he knows he's doing the most essential work I'd like to leave you with the words of a saint. The patron of parish priests, St. John Marie Vianney, he had this to say. If we really understood the priest on earth, we would die. Not of fright, but of love. The priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus.